that remained. We put up promos about our upcoming messages and things, let social media know. A lot of people tune in that don't attend this church. They don't consider themselves members of Refuge. And uh, this is one of those topics my wife said, I'm a little surprised you put it up because I know some people may have stayed home just because they say, oh, I'm not interested or I already know that topic. Um, but there's no doubt that there might be a couple people tuning in who say, I, didn't, I don't really know what the Bible says about this. And so... Um, no doubt announcing it probably loses some and gains some. But uh, as many of you know, our Wednesday night services are called Principles for Life. Uh, pretty self-explanatory. Our vision is to address real life principles. To not, we don't just, sometimes I'm going to pray. Last week I felt to preach and, we, and I preached. Um, this is, there's teaching and training and looking at God's word. How does God's word, how should God's word influence our lives and our daily decisions. Um, you know, times change, politics change, politicians change, national laws change, but God's word stands forever and ever, and it's unchanging. And it still stands even if what is accepted goes against the word of God. His word still stands even in times like that. So we could all vote tonight as a water baptism. Oh, it's no longer a part of salvation. I don't, I don't see it all in favor, say aye. And we could vote and it could pass. But God's word still wouldn't change the fact that it doesn't matter if we all voted yes. It's, it, it doesn't change God's word. And so tonight I want to look at a very sensitive and a volatile subject in our Principles for Life session. I want to look at the topic of abortion. And I do not want to look at it through the lens of Facebook, CNN, not even Fox News, not the Republican Party, not the Democratic Party, not the Libertarian Party, not the United Pentecostal Church International, to which I'm a proud part of, not even the way I was raised. I want to open up the Word of God, and I want to let the source of absolute truth speak for itself. And so... God's word is what determines truth, not personal experience, not votes, not politicians, not, not personal preference. And so tonight we're going to look at what does the Bible say about abortion. And so if you're tuning in online and you this topic grabbed your attention, you're not a member here, maybe it's your first time tuning in, we welcome you wholeheartedly. Um, we aim to do everything that we do, every topic, every message, we aim to, to view life through the lens of Scripture. We don't ever aim to just be judgmental or harsh. We aim to be compassionate in every area of life. But in our compassion, we always stand on the Word of God. And so if you're tuning in and you're not a member here, we're so thankful that you've made the choice to do that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, God, so much for your Word. What would we do trying to navigate this thing called life if we did not have scripture, if you did not inspire human beings to write down things that you told them to write down, and then we didn't have things to refer back to when we get into situations in life. Thank you for timeless principles that no matter what century it is, what year it is, we can still go back to your word and find truth. In your name, amen. Now, no doubt some people didn't come tonight because... I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> it's abortion. I have no problem. We're good. Uh, and for you, I might be, you might be saying, I'm preaching to the choir. Well, I, I didn't have an abortion. I'm not going to have an abortion. Hey, I have no problem with abortion. That, that. You might never consider one, but the topic still needs to be covered. Why? Because you as a believer need to know what the Bible says. And especially in this day and age, you know, I, I, I was talking to my wife about this, that sometimes we talk about topics in our world and it's kind of disheartening because you're like, yeah, it's just so widespread. What can I do? It just, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't like it. But here's one of the reasons why we must cover this, because our kids are growing up in a society where the church used to have a strong voice in certain areas, but it's become so normal that the church doesn't address these areas. In our homes, we don't talk about these things because they're just so normal that our kids now are growing up thinking it's normal. You see what I'm saying there? Like, we don't really talk about abortion, and so it's just so normal. So our kids are like, well, mom, dad, I mean, yeah, I mean, homosexuality, abortion, these things, they're, they're everywhere. I mean, what, of course, what do you want me to do? No, we still need to go back to the Word of God and say, well, what does the Bible say? 
because I want my kids to know, my kids already have heard about abortion. We've already talked about this topic. Because I want them to know that society is going to very loudly shout things that go against the word of God. And so I want my kids to know, what does the Bible say? And so I remember growing up, the church I was a part of, that I would hear about abortion all the time. Churches would stand and get vocal about it. There'd be pickets and protests out in front of clinics. My church used to have Tupelo Children's Mansion come all the time. And if you've ever heard of Tupelo Children's Mansion out of Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, they would always come and, and talk to you about the, the choice of, see, we're not against choice, choice, the choice of adoption rather than abortion. And so now it seems like the mainstream media groups have snuffed out the voices that are in opposition to this concept of abortion. And it's almost as though it's only really mentioned every four years when a president is about to be elected. And I wish that was not the case. I wish it was discussed more frequently because I refuse to make this message tonight. If you're online tuning in here tonight, this is not a political message. This is not one political party on another. If you want to discuss politics later outside of this in private, I will, I will gladly discuss politics with you. But understand, I, I pastor a, a, a decent group of people, a good-sized group of people, and I know that there are varying opinions about parties and politics and candidates. And so I'm just thankful that I get to live in what I feel is the greatest country in, in the whole world, and I have the privilege to vote as a United States citizen. Amen? And so I will say that it's impossible for me to vote for any individual who says that it's okay to take a life in the womb, out of the womb. I, I, I'm, I, that's, that, I can't do that. That's, that to me, you could have the greatest plan for, for uh, the economy, for health care, for all these things. But if you tell me it's okay to abort a life inside a womb, I can't, I, I can't vote for you. Now, that's just me personally. That's a value of mine. And it's not a personal preference, honestly. It's a biblical conviction that's based on Scripture. And so I'm, I'm extremely concerned right now because a, an article was just released this past week that some of the House of Representatives are trying to repeal a longstanding ban on using federal money for abortions. For more than 40 years, both Democrats and Republicans have stuck to a compromise on abortion no government money would be used to pay for ending pregnancies. Beginning next year, some are now planning to move to get federal funding for pregnancies. So I would say it's important who you vote for. And because if this issue is important to you, you should educate yourself on this. Because we are getting ready to go into a year where people have already made it clear we are aiming to get federal funding to end pregnancies. That's very serious to me. One can view abortion in really one of three ways. I don't mean to simplify it, but it's the best I can put it. One of three ways. Number one, the unborn child is a human being with a right to life. Number two, the unborn child is a potential human life. We must protect it unless more significant harm will be done to an actual human life. And number three, the unborn child is not a human life, so deliberately aborting the potential for that birth is morally acceptable. That's really the three views of abortion, or of life in, in the womb. It appears that God himself goes with option one. Again, biblical lens. He views the unborn child as a human being. Look with me at Scripture. Psalm 139, 13. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together. Go ahead. In my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex, which if you've ever studied the body, I'm probably getting ready to, to do, I'm researching this. We're probably getting ready to do a series here very soon entitled Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. 
And we're going to look at science. People say that, oh, religion or science. Why, why, why do I have to choose religion or science? I mean, the Bible talks about he sits upon the circle of the earth. I don't need to go any further. So that science points to this, and so does. So I'm not a flat earth theory. Why? Because Scripture says he sits on the circle of the earth. It's very clear. So science in the Bible, often they, they, they coincide. They don't, have to, they don't have to contradict all the time. He says, thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion and as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh, God, they cannot be numbered. It sounds to me like my God is very engaged in what's going on in the womb. God creates, cares for, and plans for that child like he did for you and I. He apparently does value life, that, that life no less just because of a pregnancy versus an actual birth. Let's look at what else scripture says about life in the womb. Job 10, 8 says, you formed me with your hands, you made me, yet now you completely destroy me. He was having a rough day, right? Remember that you made me from dust. Will you turn me back to dust so soon? You guided my conception. You formed me in the womb. Now, granted, we know a man and a woman come together to form a child, but we know that the miracle of life comes from God. And he says, God, you formed me in the womb. You clothed me with skin and flesh. You knit my bones and sinews together. You gave me life and showed me your unfailing love. My life was preserved by your care. God made plans not only for them, but for Isaiah and Jeremiah, Old Testament prophets. Look, he makes plans for them while they were still in the womb. Isaiah 49, 1, he says, listen to me, all you distant lands. He says, pay attention, you who are far away. Isaiah says, the Lord called me before my birth. Thank God he wasn't aborted. Because God, Scripture says, God called him before his birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. So guess what? God has a name for your child before you name your child. How awesome is that? Isaiah 49, 5, and now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be a servant who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me and my God has given me strength. And to Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you, God says, before I formed out. Notice, who forms in the womb? It's God. He says, before I formed you, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Thank God no one aborted Jeremiah. Because God looked at him and said, not tonight. I'm the one that formed you. I knew you. But before you were born, I had a plan for your life. So you're sitting here thinking like, you might be like, well, I don't know. I don't do much. God doesn't have a plan for me. Listen, God is, oh, scripture after scripture, God knows right where you are. And he not only has a plan for you today, he had a plan for you today before you ever got to today. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Ghost moved on John the Baptist. When? When he was in his mother's womb. Luke 1, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child, who is John, leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit met with that child. That child leapt. There was life in the womb. The Spirit was operating even in the womb. I'm not going to give you a class on sexual education. Let the church said amen. That would be awkward for me, you, and all of us. And I'm not qualified to do so. I'm not a medical professional. But what I will say is this. If you have ever seen a scientific video that shows, notice I said scientific video, that shows the way a sperm travels, how many are released, the way it fertilizes an egg, the way the egg attaches to the womb. I believe we have a picture the way conception occurs and life begins. This 
is one of the greatest things in all of this world that point to an intelligent creator. I mean, if you were to really understand and break it down, what happens, it is one of the most amazing processes, the way life is formed. It truly is a miracle. Nurse, who's the nurses? Anybody work in medical profession? Raise your hand. One, two, three. Am I telling the truth or not that the formation of life is one of the greatest miracles in all of, all of, all of humankind? It absolutely is. God is the one alone who gives life. And if truly is one of the most miraculous events, and in Bible times, the law imposed a penalty for those who hurt the unborn child. Exodus 21, 22. Now suppose two men are fighting in the process. They accidentally strike a pregnant woman, so she gives birth prematurely. If no further injury results, the man who struck the woman must pay the amount of the compensation. The husband demands, the judges approve. But if there's further injury, the punishment was, must match the injury, a life for a life. So did God just define Did God just define what was in the womb that was forced to be born prematurely as life? God defined what was in the womb as life? Because that's the big argument. When does life begin? When does that child become a human? Is it conception? Implantation, when the fertilized egg attaches to the wall of the womb. Is it 40 days? Is it the quickening when the mother first feels the movement? Is it viability? When the child becomes capable of surviving outside the womb? Is it birth? Is it 10 days after birth? You know, you're going to find different opinions in all of this but I feel like God defines it. There's life in that womb. Well, since God treats the unborn child as a human, he says, you can't, you, you baby born prematurely. There was a life in there. You're going to give your life because you took a life. Conception is the most clearly defined point for an unborn child in relation to spiritual and to the word of God. Look even at our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God caused the conception of Jesus in the womb of a virgin. Matthew one twenty, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. God is fully operating in the development of human life in the womb. We read it over and over and over again throughout Scripture. If that was to happen today, if, if the angel of the Lord came to, to Mary and said these things, and Jesus was now in the womb, and a Savior was getting ready to be born of a human woman again, Jesus would be in literally the most dangerous part of all of the world. More dangerous than the streets of downtown Kansas City, Chicago, L.A., New York, the womb of a woman. So far, COVID-19, numbers are all over the place. But what I can find is as of this end of August, there have been approximately 183,000 deaths here in the U.S. Sad. That's terrible. I hate that because some of my friends have died. But also in one year in the United States, in one full year, the U.S. will abort 1.2 million babies. That makes me sad because some of those children would be downstairs doing kids' choir with our kids right now. There's a life that should be downstairs learning a song about Jesus right now that was never given the chance to live. But 1.2 million, we don't really, 
We don't really understand that number. It's, it's, it's just, it just sounds like a huge number. We don't really get a chance to hang out with 1.2 million people. Most of us don't have $1.2 million. So 1.2 million is a lot. Try to process with me. I grabbed the thing that's one of the most known things in Kansas City, especially right now. Let's talk about Arrowhead Stadium. The seating capacity is just about over about 76,000 people. Folks, there are 16 games, regular season games, in an NFL season. Eight are played at home. Eight are played on the road at a different team stadium. Imagine with me that an entire football stadium, let's say that the Chiefs this year are going to play 16 games at home, every game at Arrowhead. 16 games every week, once a week, a full season of NFL football are going to be played at Arrowhead. And every single chair in Arrowhead is filled with a newborn baby. And 16 games later, after every single one of the 16 games... After each game, every one of those babies is killed. Every single seat in Arrowhead for 16 games has a newborn child that is killed. My God. If that doesn't grip your heart, I, I, I don't know what I could possibly present to you that will. One point two million sixteen football stadiums full of different children. That's painful to say, it's painful to imagine, it's painful to listen to, but it's a reality we must all acknowledge. When somebody flippantly says, It's my choice, get out of my womb, get out of my uterus, all these things, I, I just wonder if you truly understand what is being said. I think sometimes we get caught up in the politics and the freedom and the voice and the protest that we sometimes maybe don't stop and go, hold on, let's just back up and think about what this really means. And I just got to see a speech from the former employee of the year from Planned Parenthood. Did anyone get a chance to see that at all? You do yourself a service. It's only about maybe five minutes to go on YouTube later and just type in Planned Parenthood speech. Um, 2020, she just gave it. And she talked about how she was the employee of the year, but she was a part of something so terrible, so traumatic, that she left Planned Parenthood. It was just named the employee of the year, left, walked away from it. Because she said she was asked to help out in an abortion one time. And the doctor, the last thing that she remembered him saying when she, he stuck a suction into the, into the uterus, or I, 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 obviously I'm not an expert in that area. And he said, here we go, beam me up, Scotty. And she said, we talk about choice, but she explained in this speech in her words, she said, do you know that there's a smell that goes along with abortion? She said, do you know that there is a separate room that we call the body parts room? She said, where we have to lay out the body parts of the baby that we just took out to make sure that we got all of the parts out of the woman's body. This is, this is the reality of what we're dealing with. She talked about the suction. She talked about all of that. She's talked about how she saw the child on the screen beginning to fight as the vacuum came in. I taught a Bible study once in Wisconsin before I moved here. And a, and a lady sat in this Bible study. And she started talking about abortion and I could tell she wanted to talk. And uh, we, we started talking about it. And within moments, she was, I can still vividly remember it. Very few times have I ever seen someone cry as hard in a, as a human being as I did when this woman cried. And she started telling me a story. And I know you, in your mind, you're, you're probably thinking she had an abortion. She didn't. She went with her friend 
who had an abortion. She wasn't even the one. She went for support. And as she talked about this, there was something that she actually told me the story about having to see a counselor. And she still was heaving, could not even speak because of what she remembered in that room that day. Because there's something that God places in us when you just know something's not right. And she cried and cried and I talked to her about it. Again, as we hear this, I could have showed you, I could have told you much more terrible stories, showed you images. I don't, I don't want to go that far. But I think some of these things we need to know. It's not just, oh, vote for this person. Oh, oh pro-life, pro-choice. And pro-choice, it sounds, it sounds just kind of innocent. Don't take the choice away from pro-choice. Be pro-choice. It just, it sounds just, you just got to make a choice. It's much more than that. Look at human development in the womb. We have a slide. Week three. Three weeks. Three weeks. Three weeks. And you have a beating heart. And this is what's hard because there are so many good people that want a baby so bad. There's a value that some people have in life and there's a value that others don't have. I will tell you that I could tell you three traumatic experiences in my life right off the top of my head. And one of them is when I was in a U.S. cellular place in Wisconsin working for a business and was switching out all the phones for our entire company as an office manager. And my wife called me. We had, she was pregnant, and she called me and said, and I said, hello? And she was at a doctor appointment. She was crying, and she said, Gary, there's no heartbeat. One of the most traumatic times that you can go through. And I know she's not alone. Some of you have miscarried. Others of you watching online, you've miscarried. And it's just one of the most terrible detrimental things that you can go through with the excitement of life. And then all of a sudden, that life is no longer there. But week three, you're, that baby's heart is beating. Week four, legs and arms form. Second month, two months in, the inner ear forms. Feeble body movements can be recorded. The fetus swims and responds to touch. And all this indicates that the nervous system has developed to the point that the baby can experience pain. Yes, in the second month of pregnancy, a baby, a baby can experience pain. Now the argument is late-term abortion. No, there should be be none. Month three, the baby sleeps and wakes. Vocal cords are complete where the baby could cry if he or she had air. At month three, the fingerprints are now unique, thus giving the baby in the third month in the womb legal identity. Month four, facial features are distinct and baby starts to suck thumb. Months five and six, the baby hiccups, kicks, punches, and recognizes the mother's voice. And I would argue to the cows come home, whatever that means, that they can recognize dad's voice too. My wife will be my witness. When Kiera was in her womb, she would lay down in the bed and we would listen to the heartbeat because we checked it regularly after losing the first one. So we went online and bought a where we could... Put that stuff on. Am I embarrassing you? Put that stuff on. And you'd find, oh, right there. And you were never so happy to hear a sound in your life. But Kiera, I would sing to her and I'd say something. And she'd start to move. And Jackie would say, she's moving every time I did it. I would start to push on Jackie's stomach, and as the Lord and my wife, as my witness, Kiara would hit back at the spot, or kick, 
Then, I ha- then we had her, and it made perfect sense. But I'd push on an area, and she'd kick and hit. I, I, I'd move over here, and all of a sudden over there, she'd hit. It's amazing. Seven to nine, month seven to nine, baby has full use of sight, hearing, taste, and touch, has experienced motions, walking, sleeping, secretions, relates to the moods and emotions of the mother. And now there's people, it's not even like, you know, abortion, you try and pin someone on abortion. I remember growing up, they didn't want to talk about it. Now it's not even like, oh, you need to do your research on that person. They are, there's certain people that are proud. They're like, you don't take a, mo- a mother's choice should not be limited to two months. They celebrate it. And I'm going, what is going on in society? California just legalized, what, the, the pedophilia bill where you, there can be 10 years difference up to like 11 years old. Amazon's got a book on that talks about the disease of pedophilia. We're already starting to try to normalize the next phase of things. Church. I said God is not yet here, so we still have work to do, but he's coming back. Very, it is looking more and more like Sodom and Gomorrah. So we want to be a shining light, but as we shine that light, we want to make sure we're ready. She should have the choice to, you know, they say, and in and, and, and the late term abortion, occasionally in spite of the abortion methods used, you know what's really sad? Research this. There have still been cases where babies are born alive and have to be aborted outside the womb. At what point does murder become murder? Just in case you didn't know, I'm not going to be much longer. The word abortion is not found in the Bible. The concept, as we know it today, didn't really start. I mean, it was already starting, but it came to fruition ahead at 1973, Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade. Uh, the Roe case arose out of a Texas law that prohibited legal abortion except to save a woman's life. At that time, most other states had laws similar to the one in Texas, so when a woman wanted abortion, they wanted to resort to doing an illegal abortion. Well, Jane Roe was a 21-year-old pregnant woman who represented all women back then, supposedly, at least that was the verbiage, who wanted abortions but couldn't get them legally and safely. Henry Wade was the Texas Attorney General who defended the law that made abortions illegal. Well, after hearing the case, the Supreme Court ruled that Americans' right to privacy included the right of a woman to decide whether to have children and the right of a woman and her doctor to make the decision without state interference. So now... We read scripture after scripture that God is the one that creates life in the womb, but now humanity is able to make the decision as to whether to end it. I'm for woman's choice. You might say, my goodness, what? I am. I'm for woman's choice. That choice just needs to be made before a sexual encounter. The solution is birth control or... Bless God, abstinence, not abortion. The choice is over your body, and I understand that, but not once a new life forms within your body. That's where it changes. At least that's what I see in the Bible, as Ronald Reagan so capably put it. I've noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. But what about extenuating circumstances? What about expectation of what what they would say, a defective child? Rape, incest? Do you know those only account for about 3% of abortions? According to a 2019 research study from USA Today, 1% of abortions are from rape, and a half a percent are from incest. What is the child 
well, what, what, what if the child is, is going to be physically or mentally handicapped? Uh, I know that that would be excru- excruciating, difficult as a parent. I understand. I, I know. But if we truly believe that God is sovereign over all, then we must affirm that every human life that he creates is worth living. Otherwise, the argument could be used for mercy killing of handicapped adults or elders, which is another thing that would be absolutely against the word of God. Can we afford to abort this life with its unknown potential when God has not chose to end that life in the womb? But mother and child are always, 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 always in the hand of God. You know... God loves little children so much. I'm not God, nor do I try to be, but if I was to try to imagine what pains God the most, I would have to, I would, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I would bet abortion ranks right up there. Just look at what he says. In the Bible, he's traveling with his disciples. They're like, hey, kids, get away. Got an important guy here. Get out of the way. And Jesus is like, "Uh, suffer not the little children to come unto me. He says, Jesus calls a little child, Matthew 18, and and puts the child among them. And he doesn't just say, hey, child, okay, I got to take some time for a child. He puts the child among the adults and says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn your sins and you become like this little child, you ain't getting to heaven. So anyone who comes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What? If anyone who welcomes a little child like this is on behalf of his welcoming me, he says, if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it's better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. Some of you had some things done to you by adults or family members when you were younger, some vile and terrible things that you still struggle with today. I want you to know that God didn't cause it. It was the sin of that person, but God looks at you, and he's the one that says, anybody hurts a child or causes them to fall, he says, they, you might as well throw a millstone, throw them to the bottom of the sea. You want to talk about a Savior who is passionate for children? He used the child as an example of what's going to heaven. I have a serious question. If Jesus was still walking around in flesh today, yeah, I know this sounds crazy, but I think we need to ask it. I think we need to ponder it. If he's walking around today, would he be more prone to work in children's ministry, teaching and training children, or would he be more prone to work in an abortion clinic, helping mothers with their choices to end the lives of the child in the womb? Enough said. What would Jesus do? He would affirm and celebrate the sanctity of human life, especially that of a child. So I would argue that we must avoid abortion at every stage, including birth control methods that do do not prevent conception, but only prevent the implantation of the fertilized egg. And there is a difference. You saw those nurses raise their hand. Go talk to one of them if you have questions. But I'll say this. Chances are someone might be watching online or sitting here tonight, and you are dealing, oh, that pain. Because you know what? You might have had an abortion before. And then a message like this comes up, and it's just like opens up the scab. And wow. Listen, just because I preach what God's word says doesn't mean that we have all made mistakes and poor choices, messed up. And you know what? Yes, based on scripture, I believe that was the wrong decision. But I have made a whole bunch of wrong decisions in my life. And that is where I'm thankful to God that he died on a cross called Calvary. And that he shed blood that could wash away every single sin, every single choice. Even if I've made this decision, even if you're sitting there saying, I've had an abortion before. God can absolutely forgive that. I'm so thankful that there's no limit on his ability to forgive. We read about forgiveness all through the Bible. 
He extends mercy and grace. But what can you do moving forward? Well, pay attention to moral issues when you're voting. Not, I'm not just talking about the president. I'm talking about county, city, state. Now, again, I, I will never stand in this pulpit and try and tell anybody who to vote for. You want to ask my opinion outside the pulpit? That's fine. We'll talk. All I say is for me, one of the first places I go is right to life to see who's, who stands, for, a, who, who stands for, for life. That's This topic is that important to me. Let your voice be heard in local legislation. Make sure you're teaching and instilling values to the next generation. The voice of choice is getting louder and louder and louder and louder. Because it gets to the point, have you ever been trying to talk to your spouse or someone on the phone and your kids are, bah, 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 and finally you have to say, stop, I can't even hear. Has that ever happened? Honey, we are the only ones with loud and rambunctious children. What is going on? Thank you. The Cannon's house. Let's go to the Cannon's house. That's the only place we are now welcome. Well, what happens is they get louder and you can't even hear. That's happening in our world right now. Opposing voices of the word of God are getting so loud that our kids are hearing that. And the voices of truth and, and conviction and the word of God, they're getting quieter because the voices are getting so loud in their lives. So be careful what, be careful how much, whose voice they're being exposed to, how much they're being exposed to that voice. What that voice is saying. Because if you just throw them in front of a, a device and let them watch Hollywood stuff, even if it seems, we were talking about this in our small group yesterday, even if it seems totally normal and that, oh, that's, that's interesting, there are messages that are being pushed with an agenda to our children. And so we have to be more intentional. I don't pretend that abortion doesn't exist. I say, do you know what abortion is? Here's what it is, guys. Here's why people, my kids sit there. And I say, yeah. People make these choices because of this. I give them the logical side of why someone wants to. I say, but what do we believe? And I say, here's what scripture says. I want to have these conversations. I don't want my kid to be caught off guard in a conversation in society. I want them to know, yeah, we've already talked about this. I've known about this since I was seven years old. Don't let your kids grow up thinking that the things that are, in, no, that are out there right now that are normal to them are just normal in your house. Make sure you let them know, hey, I know you're dealing with that at school. I know somebody said that. I know that happened, but that's not normal, honey. They might say that that's normal. You're going to, and I'm going to teach you, be kind to that person. Don't be rude. You're going to be very nice to that person, but that's not what God's word says. And then pray and fast for our nation. Folks, Jesus Christ is coming back very soon. Every single day, I see something else and read something else. And it's just a matter of time before we will be about our daily business. And all of a sudden, the trumpet is going to sound. And I just want to make sure, I'm doing my best to make sure that preach a message so we're all ready. But at the end of the day, I got to just make sure, I got to make sure I'm ready, my family's ready. And I'm going to try and make, help as many people be ready as I possibly can. We read about that through the Old Testament prophets. I made a joke about reading prophets this past weekend. And they just were walking around just shouting and speaking messages and object lessons. They were just trying to get everybody ready. The, the enemy's coming. And that was a different situation. But they were always just trying to get everybody ready, get everybody aware of the times. Be aware of the times. Don't just close your eyes and just say, well, I just wish it doesn't exist. It does exist. And the greatest thing that's going to bring about change 
is to have crucial conversations where you share words of encouragement, your faith, where somebody sees something in you and that says, I want what you have. Because if you're able to teach someone a Bible study and they understand the value of God's word, God's plan for their life, God wants to wash away their sins. He wants to wash them. He wants to fill them with his spirit. That will change people's outlook. And so the greatest tool we have is to show people Jesus Christ. Don't go on Facebook tonight and be like, hey, who here believes in abortion? I want to have a conversation with you. Like, probably not going to work out well. But you know what? If there's going to be protests and marches and stuff, you have time, and there's a peaceful protest for life, go to it. Call local legislation. Do, do whatever, you, whatever God lays on your heart to do. We want to make sure that, hey, I don't want the voice of opposition to get so loud that I'm just sitting there. Yeah, I stand for life. Absolutely. That life based on what I see in Scripture, God had a plan for me before my mom and dad even gave me a name. That's amazing. I'm thankful that I serve a creator who loves children so very much. I can't imagine that the God who says, you offend one of these little ones? Might as well put a millstone on your neck and go to the bottom of the sea. Is on the other hand going, well, yeah, it's your choice. Yeah, it's your uterus. It's your womb. Yeah, I understand. Come on. Another God we serve. And so I just, just wonder right now, if we can just right where we are, just begin to kneel down, just begin to maybe raise a hand, stand up, come to an altar, do whatever you want. But just begin to pray for our nation. Just begin to pray that what would happen if people in the House of Representatives, the Senate, started to see things in the Word of God that they've never seen before? What if God, if the, if the, if the people of the United States of America began to pray and to fast and to, to cover leaders in prayer, and, and all of a sudden they started to have a friend who taught them a Bible study? They started reading passages themselves and seeing things about life that that they've never seen, that all of a sudden the conviction comes over them, and I don't care if they're Republican, Green, Libertarian, Democratic, all of a sudden they start to say, hold it, whoa, 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 life, life means something, I ain't going to vote that way. I just came across something in the Scripture I, I've never seen before. God can start to do some, some really amazing, powerful things, because I still believe in the power of prayer. Begin to call out leaders, mayors, and governors, and people, members of House of Representatives and speakers and presidents, vice presidents in, in our country. I just, I wonder what could happen right now if all of a sudden there was just a, a revival of life. Lord, I pray for even groups, Sanctity of Life groups. Bless their finances. Give them platforms, Jesus. That a message of life and adoption even, that that would get out there in humanity, that people who are genuinely feeling hopeless and helpless in their situation, and they don't feel like they're capable of raising a child, and maybe they're not healthy enough, maybe they don't have the resources, they don't have the support system. God, help that person right now that's on the street, that's living somewhere right now, that's out being with family, looking for some, looking for answers. Help them right now, Jesus. Begin to reach to them, Lord God, that they would all of a sudden feel something and say, you know what, I don't need to abort this baby. I don't need to, I don't need to take this child's life. Lord, that there was somebody else that would step forward, that they would look into adoption, that, there were, that, 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 that child would have an opportunity to live the life that you formed and called them to live in the womb, Jesus. God, reach to young mothers right now who, who feel ill-prepared to be a mom, God. Let them feel strength and peace right now. And through your spirit, God, I pray. Lord, I pray, Jesus, for, for the House of Representatives, the Senate, people that make decisions about judicial laws, God, and procedures, Jesus, for Supreme Court justices, Lord God, who will hear cases. 
God, I pray, I don't care what their party is or what they align with, help them to hear from you, Lord God, where decisions would be made that would protect life in the womb. God, that moral values that are founded and grounded in your word, Lord Jesus, that they would begin to supersede every other law, Lord God, and that, Lord, that you would do something in the United States of America to protect unborn children, God. And if there's something you want us to do, please make it clear, God. Give us a boldness and a wisdom, Lord, about what conversations to have and when to have them and what to say, Lord God. Father, we got elections coming up. Give us wisdom, Lord. None of us here that I know of are politicians, God. We need to know. Lord, you've blessed us with an ability to vote, God. Who should we be voting for that's going to, Lord God, cling to some type, of a, some type of a moral compass, Lord Jesus? God, help your people, Lord, as we navigate these decisions in daily life, Lord God. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, come on. Let's pray. Your children are getting ready to be raised in this, this society and the society that's going it's, to, it's, it's continually morphing. What is it going to look like 10 years from now? My Lord Jesus, help the society that my kids are going to be exposed to. There's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. Okay. 